Fire and Bones podcast. I'm Michael Crosswhite, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And I am Nathan Loudon, the pastor of Millwood Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. Follow the podcast, rate it. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this week's episode. There are some directions I I did not see this conversation going, and that was one. <laughs> that that was that would be one. That would be one. So, yeah. I, you know, I'm so, I'm frustrated because I left my. I think I left all three of my, uh, speaking in tongues books at home that I read, uh, last week. So last week I re- I read. Then we can just have a then we. Then we can just have a discussion. Wait, what do you have? What did you? you to, what did you pull up? What? What? What's that? What? Yeah. <laughs> what's that? Let's just, what, what, as what you pull that? your reference book out. <laughs> Good grief! What, what? Oh this, man, this this what book is, is my that? Bible? Bull, bull. Uh, this, this is bull. no. Uh, I'm just reading from First Corinthians 14, as you know, as quoted 12. in D. A. Carson's book, or who do you have? I mean, okay. It's there not, it is. There it is. It's not not D. A. Carson's book. <laughs> I, don't, I think I left all of my books at the house. So, but here's the problem with D. A. Carson. He he poses the question, and then he takes ninety four pages oh, to answer it. <laughs> my goodness. If if she, if like, he means showing the spirit is, you know, love, joy, peace, patience. And that's the the fruit of the spirit he wants to show. Uh, then yeah, the man has more patience, and he is helping us develop fruit of the spirit of patience. I mean, yeah. that, you talk about were the a were the tongues book. at Corinth were the tongues at Corinth real languages or something else? To put the matter in technical terms, and then he just goes on yeah. for for forever. It's a you know. it's a very technical book. It's not a book I would just put in anyone's hands. And I I had some trouble following some of his arguments as well, uh, just because of, of their length and sometimes the technicality. But here's I but I appreciate so D. A. Carson is basically doing a word study, is how I understood his book. He what is mm. what do the words in First Corinthians twelve through fourteen mean? When it comes to mm-hmm. tongues, what what is their possible uh, syntax, their possible lexicon, their possible definitions? What are we even talking about here? Uh, so that's that's one angle. The two other books I read were Strange Fire by John MacArthur, where John MacArthur is basically responding to uh, Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, and the charismatic movement. I think he does a pretty good job of going back historically to show that, uh, you know, where did the modern charismatic movement begin? It began in the early 1900s. He talks a little bit about 1 Corinthians 14, and uh, then he does a, a, a quick flying overview of some other historical figures going back to Augustine and other 1st, 2nd, 3rd century church leaders and what they said about tongues and the gift of tongues. And then you've got Sam Storms, uh, whose book I think is called The Language of Heaven. And his it's funny because his book started out the way I think so many people start out the conversation of tongues who 
have a favorable view of its existence and usage. He starts out with personal experience. That's his book. His entire premise is, I mean, he deals with Scripture, and it's the same storms, but his premise is built on, I prayed for it, I did it, I know it's real. And and you can yeah. see you can I, I you could see the difference between him D A Carson and MacArthur, uh, really between him and Carson and the way they handled scripture, where Sam Storms seemed to me to be going to First Corinthians twelve through fourteen, with the understanding that this does exist, we just need to kind of understand it in a First Corinthians mm. twelve through fourteen way, and I, mm. I, that's. That's hard because I, I mean Sam Storms is a well-educated. Uh, I mean uh, his his book Kingdom Come on on millennialism was excellent. Even if you disagree with it, it's a, it's an excellent work. I think on handling with scripture. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of strange in this case to just to see him that way and see the book that way. Um, but it's, it's, that seemed to be my perspective. So. Well, I am in the middle of two books, um, and neither one of them have to do with tongues. So, uh, so, so I am looking at scripture, and I want to be convinced. Mm-hmm. I want to be convinced that what Paul is talking about here are actual. Lang- is that what you're saying? That the the tongues in First Corinthians fourteen are actual terrestrial language earthly language you're not you're not suggesting that i'm not reading the bible that that's not what you're saying right like i'm reading no, i'm reading I'm all saying, these books but you're reading the bible that's no 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 okay. i'm in the middle of two other books and neither one of them have anything to do with oh, books that's what i'm books in the bible you mean okay. no no i'm in the middle of two what books? other books one ancient one modern Okay. The the modern one is Expository yeah. Exaltation by John Piper. Yeah. Uh, the ancient one is uh, Richard Sibbs, The Bruised Reed. Yeah. Nice. So, um, and I've, I've, that one is a slow read for me. So I basically take my t- kids to Taekwondo and I sit in the lobby and read it. <laughs> but I've been reading Expository Exaltation a lot more lately, and it's thoroughly enjoyable. So but, I haven't so done any work. On... This is coming up in my church because we're going through the book of Acts. So it's going to be coming up more and more. Yeah, I've got a of couple course. questions on already. I've already preached through Acts 2 and that, that that first speaking in tongues where everyone heard Peter and the other apostles, I think probably the other disciples, speaking in their own language. So we're going through the book of Acts. I think that's, that's bringing it up for us. Um, people are going to be asking more questions. I did not make the you know the the contemporary speaking in tongues I didn't really bring that up in Acts 2 mm-hmm. uh, as I, when I preached through it I, I talked more about what Joel 2 Joel 2's point is about speaking in tongues which was they're there mightily proclaiming the works of God which are primarily in Jesus Christ they're witnesses to Christ and the fulfillment of this in Acts 2 is so all who call upon the name of the Lord can be saved. So I preached a message about salvation and that this is happening so that the world and us now can be saved. That's what 
the that's what the preach that's what tongues was for. It's fulfilling Acts two to bring salvation or Joel two to bring salvation. Uh, so we didn't really get into much about you know is it continuing? Does it exist today? What is it? We just kind of left it there in its context. Let it do what it originally did. Uh, to the original audience, and then by extension to us in salvation. We didn't really get into it. And probably because we're not preaching 1 Corinthians 14, mm-hmm. or even Acts 10 or 18 yet, where you know, the other occasions of speaking in tongues come. And so uh, so we, we probably will then, uh, to, to some degree. Um, but I would say in most Baptist churches, unless, unless you are preaching Acts you're not even going to talk about it mm. unless, unless someone's coming from a background or they're reading it in their daily reading. It's um, it's not going to come up. Mm-hmm. Fair? I mean, you've been there how long at your church? Has it even come up in your church? Um, you preach through Matthew and other books? Only sparsely. Like last week, we are doing a building block. Uh, I'm doing a building block on overview of the New Testament. Having done two... The last two quarters were overview of the Old Testament. So for 26 weeks, we went through the Old Testament. Now for 26 weeks, we'll be going through the New Testament. And uh, we're in Acts. So, you know, I, I just touched on um, tongues as a earthly language for which the unbelieving crowd around heard the utterances and but they understood what the apostles were saying some of them understood what the apostles were saying and then there was a whole other group who um understood that everyone was drunk and or at least that was their explanation for it you you don't understand what this galilean is saying you you know you must be drunk that kind of thing so um Mm -hmm. You know, we basically, that was the extent of how much we touched on it. Um, so I, I, it seems like in Acts, I think it would be really hard to argue. May I mean, I'm sure people do, but it seems just in the text itself really difficult to argue that that's anything other than an earthly language. That each person is hearing Peter in their own language, though he is speaking his own language. His own dialect. In Acts 2? Yeah. In Acts 2 or all through the book of Acts? Uh, well, I mean, it's specifically in Acts 2, but uh, I suppose we could take each passage in Acts. It seems like in each passage in Acts, it would be the same thing. There are those who would argue that there was the fullness of the array of possible tongues, both earthly and heavenly and personal and all those things, present in Acts 2. But even Sam Storms, who is a continuationist and believes in personal, private, uh, kind of heavenly, angelic prayer language, would reject that and say you can't get that out of Acts 2. But he would say you you see that potentially for the first time in the book of Acts 10 and 18 when others are speaking in tongues. Mm -hmm. And... It's a bit of a circle, circular argument there because his he's saying that the uh, that in Acts ten and eighteen when others who are you know Gentiles or those who are not apostles or not that one hundred and twenty disciples when they're speaking in tongues it never says that they actually spoke in other languages 
and other people and other in you know in foreign languages to them heard them preach the gospel. It never says that. And I'm like, that's a that's a non-argument about a non-statement. Like, what what do you mean by that? Because for same storms, that means that that means that these experiences of tongues are something other than Acts two, because the same thing isn't happening. And I think one of the things that MacArthur pointed out that's really helpful is Luke actually wrote Acts after Paul wrote First Corinthians. And Paul and Luke traveled together. So you see we between Luke and Paul in the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. Luke would have known about the controversy of Acts at First Corinthians when he wrote the book of Acts. So when Luke when Luke wrote the book of Acts, he starts with tongues in chapter two. Luke doesn't ever give us any other rubric or any other definition of tongues than Acts chapter two. He never does that positively. Right. Yeah, he doesn't say that they're speaking in foreign languages in Acts ten and eighteen. Right. But he doesn't say that they're not either. That that's the pro- that's actually the problem is right. that he doesn't come back out and say, and they were speaking in tongues, which was something totally different than Acts two. So understanding and that to that me, there's kind of this has to be one of the most compelling arguments, just in terms of studying the Bible itself, is typically the author of a biblical book forms his lexicon, especially early on, but throughout the book. And unless he updates the lexicon, then you kind of have to keep the same meaning, right? So he says... Exactly. He he says... Paul's going through his epistles. He doesn't redefine the word gospel every time he refers to the gospel. Right. So like in... Because he's defined it. Right. So in two... I just want to read this or part of it, at least so that we can kind of have a base of of understanding Acts 2, where we're talking about. So it says uh, 2... I'll just start at 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Um, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors of Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said they are filled with new wine. So it seems, it's man, it would be really difficult to argue that what's going on there is not um, 
the native languages spoken of the Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, Mm -hmm. Mesopotamia, whatever, you know, he goes through and lists all the places where people are from and, uh, and obviously they have different languages and yet they Mm -hmm. are all understanding and they say, we are all understanding. We hear them telling in our own tongue. So we know he's a Galilean and we can see that mm-hmm. he is speaking he is he is not speaking you know the arabian language or he is not speaking the language of the elamites or the medes and yet mm-hmm. each of us understand him alike and mm-hmm. obviously that's not happening for everyone in the crowd because there's some people there who hear what the you know whatever Egyptians or, you know, people uh, in Libya belonging to Cyrene and those areas are going, you're just, you're drunk is what, you know, obviously people here are Mm -hmm. drunk. They've, they think they understand what he's saying and this is all just nonsense. But I think that's the point, right? Is that like, you kind of have to say it's very difficult to conclude anything other in Acts 2 than that uh, Peter is speaking in a Galilean dialect of Aramaic and is preaching and every person there from many different countries is hearing him as if Peter was speaking in his own language, in in the Mm -hmm. language of the hearer. And then Luke never updates that lexicon for what speaking in tongues is. He never tells us later that, oh, by the way, this now was a heavenly tongue, not a, not a a native language. And, you know, that's a compelling argument that what... And I would, yeah. I would say that goes all, for, for Paul, that goes all the way through his letters to First Corinthians, that, that he never has... Let me rephrase that. He, he doesn't introduce any new definition for what tongues means. He, he, he doesn't define it a different way, absolutely. People will will kind of imply from the way Paul talks about tongues in 1 Corinthians 14 that he's dealing with people in Corinth who are experiencing ecstatic utterances, personal private prayer languages, yeah. uh, or languages which are unknown to any man, unknown to anyone on the earth. So I, I think most people... Um, you know, like I said, Sam Storms engages with one or two guys who want to say Acts 2 is saying something else. But most people, even continuationists, who believe those who believe tongues still exist and is operating today, that uh, there, there's not really a dispute about what Acts 2 means. There's a little bit of, of dispute about what Acts 10 and 18 means when those people past, you know, one level past yeah. the apostles speak in tongues. and out geographically away from Jerusalem. When they speak in tongues, there's some dispute about that. But mostly it's in 1 Corinthians 14 where people begin to assume that Paul has a a personal, you know, he, he's responding to people who are speaking in personal languages to God, yeah. which could be, which are unknown to them and which are unknown to any man. Yeah. So uh, naturally, I, should speaking, I just read they're not, 14, 1 to, what is it, 25? It's 25 verses, but it'll help us kind of maybe talk about the text itself. Yeah, I, I think if you read section at a time, 
So if even if you just follow the ESV paragraph. Okay, well let's go through it and then let's go through help. let's go through the paragraphs in the ESV. I'll read them and then we can talk about each one and what's going on there. I think that would be helpful. So yeah. uh, verse 1 of chapter 14. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and uh, consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. That's one to four, uh, one to five. Yeah. And the first, the first place people go will be verse two. One who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. And that's the that's the that that's that right there is the language that to some will say. Well, that Paul is the one who's explaining tongues now has become, or an extension of tongues from Acts two, is now us talking to God, and and not to men. Mm. That, that that's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And, but but I don't think that's what Paul's saying, and it's n- definitely not a necessary interpretation of of how Paul's talking. Paul Paul's responding one question at a time to what's going on in Corinth, and even though Paul doesn't begin chapters at least fourteen with you know like you wrote. You know, as the, the thing you wrote about, I want to get to that. Even though he doesn't do that, it's clear that this is going on, and he's been asked for help to speak into this with apostolic authority. Mm-hmm. And so there are people who are speaking in tongues in the public gathering, right? There are people who are standing up in, in the gathering of the church who are saying that they're speaking in a tongue, which is not known to anyone there. And they... Um, they don't know what to do with that. You know, it, it seems to be disruptive. No one else seems to understand what those individuals or that group perhaps is saying. And Paul's first argument is for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. And you have to, when, when you put it in context of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, you'll see that that's actually a problem for Paul. His argument is that that's not good that you speak to to God and not to men. That's actually a problem. Mm-hmm. And he continues in verse 2, for no one understands him. You can read 14 but he utters, that. Yeah, and he says, no one understands him. That That's actually a problem because the, the gifts of the Spirit, chapter 14, are supposed to be mutually building up and edifying. Mm-hmm. They are given for the common good. So if you haven't, I mean, th- this is Paul's main overarching problem with what's going on in Corinth. It doesn't pass the test of the Spirit gives gifts for the edification of the church. And if if your gift is not doing that, A, it's being misused. 
or B, it's not of the Lord. And Paul's point is you speak to men, not to God, because no one understands him. Yeah. And then the next phrase that gets picked up is, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. That, that again, people take that and say, oh, well, Paul understands that we're speaking things that we can't even understand to God in, in an angelic or, or heavenly language that, that we or no one else can understand. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening in the gathered worship. Mm-hmm. Paul's main point is, no one knows what you're saying, mm-hmm. and that's not a good thing. The, the mysteries in the Spirit is, is not good. I, I don't think Paul is even actually entertaining the idea that what you're, what you're doing is necessarily of the Spirit and of the Lord. I, I think there's room in Paul's arguments in 1 Corinthians 14 that Paul doesn't know enough about what's going on. You know, he, he, has, he, he has the, uh, you know, the message that he's gotten from Corinth about what's going on. But he's responding saying, look, if this is happening, then this is what I have to say about it. And if someone's saying that they're speaking in tongues but no one understands them, then he's uttering mysteries in the Spirit. And and, that's what's happening. And it seems like that's that would good. be mysteries that only God understands. And and it so your argument would be right, some, not even not even the speaker. Yeah. Not even the speaker himself or the hearers. Yeah, right. And that right. becomes obvious later on that he he yeah, no one understands it. God is the only one that can understand that. And that's speaking more in just a well, God knows all, so he knows what's being said. But no yeah. one else does. And everyone right. else is just baffled and lost. And that doesn't build up anybody. It's not for the upbuilding of the church or the encouragement of the church or the consolation of the church. It is specifically for, not even really for this one speaking. It can only ever be for God. And it seems like you could even make the argument that, kind of like what you said, he doesn't really, know, like he's not been there and he's not heard what's being said, so he, he can't really comment on that as far as like what the content of it is, but Mm. it seems like he's holding out the possibility that this, it actually may be an actual language and these people may actually be carried along by the spirit um, doing this. Is that the way you take it? That it, it may or may not be like when he says, but he utters mysteries in the spirit that it he, I guess he's holding out some. It's not necessarily an attribution to the spirit, right? But it, but it's it, holding it, out it, the possibility that it could be, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And and it, and if you look at verses three, four, and five, I mean, it, Paul is really laying it on thick. This is not working because the church isn't being built up by it. That's he says that in the next three verses. It's better to prophesy because it's upbuilding. Yeah. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. So then Verse let me five, ask you. Let me Better that the church may be built up. So let me ask yeah. you. I want you all to speak in tongues. I think that's a reference to some saying they had the gift of tongues and others don't. Therefore, they have some special prominence in the church in Corinth. Right. This goes back to the argument in verse thirteen, in chapter twelve, where we see the use of gifts was, "I'm more important than you guys because look at my gift." That's what Paul was dealing with in Corinth. You, the eye cannot say to the hand, "I have no need of you." The, 
You know, no part of the body can say, I, I, I don't need you, right? That's what Paul was dealing with. So when he writes about tongues, he's not going to squash tongues itself as a gift. So what does he say? I wish he would all speak in tongues. You've got a few people saying that they're speaking in tongues. I wish, I wish he would all speak in tongues. But even then, it's not the best. It's, it's not the highest. It's not the, it's not the way to build up the church. You know, it's, it's hard, so, I think, to, when you, to make an argument from context that's not specifically given. Like, we know Paul is answering uh, questions that are given in cor- from the Corinthians to Paul. And he doesn't, like you said at the beginning of this, he doesn't go, now to your question on tongues, let me talk about that for a second. And he doesn't like do that. Yeah. He just kind of goes into it. And you're left to kind of assume maybe that they've asked a question. Yeah. And even in even in your breakdown of one to five, there's a lot of assumption about the context that's uh, of First mm-hmm. Corinthians that may or may not be true i mean probably it's true yeah. but it may not be true yeah i think more you, more you have con- to be you do more convincing you do have to be careful that you don't say paul is teaching this principle therefore i know what was going on in corinth right therefore i know what he means by the yeah. principle because at some point in That's that process yeah in that process you can really justify basically any t- interpretation of any form right. of scripture. So Paul, uh, Paul says, you know, I do not permit this. And you can, because I know the context of this and that and the other, he actually does permit it, you know, and it's actually, you know, I mean, you, people do this all the time. And so but I, I think you have to be I careful do. there, but w- hold on one second. One thing that I think is, is probably the most convincing is that so far he has not defined tongues in any way that, contradicts what we see happening in Acts 2. And mm-hmm. so Luke, as of this moment, as of verses 1 to 5 of 1 Corinthians 14, Luke still gives the clearest definition of what he means when he says tongues in terms of languages, that it is the languages of other men. Right. So far, there's been no update to that. Now, we, as we go on, we might see something different, but it, it, you know, I think it's going to actually be reaffirmed right. through Acts fourteen. So there is no, he has no other definition in mind. All right, let me read six. And, and back to what you're saying, I, I agree with what you're saying, but the circular arguments you have to be careful. But it is helpful to think if Paul is speaking on on this rhetorical principial level about what's going on in the church, it's not wrong to try to gain some implications about what was actually going on in the church. Right which would help us see, is it necessary from Paul's principle mm-hmm. that what was happening in Corinth was angelic, otherworldly, non-human language? Mm-hmm. So to use two two technical terms, one would be xenoglossia, which would be languages of earthly of other, yeah. men and nations. The other one would be glossalia, which would be uh, ecstatic utterances, languages no one understands mm-hmm. uh you know the, the the kind of stuff that you experience in charismatic movements that no one understands what they mean right. unless there's you know obviously an, an interpreter in, uh, to their belief but um so yeah paul paul doesn't seem to redefine that right. anywhere and and i think if you if you take the acts 2 definition of tongues and you run it through first corinthians 14 it's it doesn't struggle yeah. against First Corinthians fourteen. Right. It makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Let me and, read. And in fact, what makes sense is that before you read is that 
the Corinthians, they don't know. Right. They're confused right. about tongues. Right. And, and and instead of having some some good firm grasp on a post X two new form of tongues, they don't know what they're doing. Mm. And in fact, there's some who could be uh, f- f- not Christians or trying to usurp the church by u- upsetting its order, by being proud, by trying to gain a place of prominence for themselves. And Paul's basically calling their bluff, saying, if it's not building up, it doesn't pass the test, guys. Mm-hmm. Well, is it tongues or not? I don't, I'm just telling you that it doesn't build up. You you can't even pass that test. Mm-hmm. So something's not right, guys. Okay. Verse so, six. yeah, go ahead. First Corinthians 14.6. Yeah. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes. How will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, how will, uh, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I don't know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Maybe the strongest... (laughs) Feather in the cap of the I'm telling you, man, language of, of Earth, earthly <laughs> language. Paul is so strong here. I, I think often we kind of think Paul's just kind of having a nice kind of argument, but I, I think he's pretty sharp here. Even if lifeless instruments, like the flute or the harp, if they don't give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? I mean, you guys are worse than a than a flute off key. Mm-hmm. If this is your use of tongues, hmm. how's anyone going to get ready for battle, guys? So it is with you. If you're giving speech, that's you. He, in fact, he says at the end of verse nine, you're just speaking into the air. So, for those who want to go back to First Corinthians fourteen two, and say, hey, we're talking to men, not God, right? That's what we're doing. The very same people who are talking to men, quote unquote, but not God. Paul comes to them later in verse 9 and says, you guys are just speaking into the air. It's the same group, which helps us understand what 14.2 was actually really pointing to. Not that you have a special relationship with God that others don't, but that you're speaking into the air. That, mm-hmm. that kind of talking to men. God, in other words, only God is the one who could possibly know what's going on, and that's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. And again, the conclusion in verse 11 is the same. If I don't know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker. And the speaker will be foreign to me. I mean, just like when, when we go to China, when, when we go to Romania, when we go to the Middle East, and you sit down at a table and you listen to two other guys talking, you have no idea what they're saying. Mm-hmm. You're a foreigner. You're, you are totally outside. So it is with you. And here's here's where I think Paul's getting on to what he does know is going on in the church, verse 12. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit. So he understands that there there's a people who are eager for this kind of manifestation 
of the Spirit, and who are exalting that particular manifestation of the Spirit and exalting it above other manifestations of the Spirit. And Paul's bringing that back down and saying, you're eager for the manifestation for the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. And Paul's point was, you can't do that if you guys are talking in tongues the way you guys are doing that in the church. You can't. Hmm. So you should strive for this. You're eager for the manifestation of the Spirit, but you should be striving to excel in building up the church. Hmm. So, so Paul really isn't entertaining he he is giving some permission, if you will, again on a principle level, in First Corinthians fourteen, but he's he's he is definitely directing them away from whatever use of tongues they're doing in First Corinthians in the gathered church, because hmm. it's not the highest, it's not the highest form of love, and it's not the 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 end of the gifts of the Spirit, which is actually to build up the church. And so far, if we look at verses 1, just 1 to 12, so far in 1 Corinthians mm-hmm. 14, there has been really nothing to overthrow Acts 2 and to no, change the no. definition of fact, what Luke gives so far. No, and in fact, I think Paul's beginning to allude that part of the problem is that in Corinth they have begun to do that. Mm. And it's not good. Mm-hmm. It's a problem. Yeah. And he, they, they they begin to think about tongues like that and talk like this is the first case of the charismatic misuse of tongues, mm, potentially. Mm. In Corinth. Right. And Paul's actually responding to it. Right. Because they're using tongues like it's not supposed to be used and yeah. understood. Yeah. Like that's that's the point that Paul's re- replying to. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I what, think that's fair to say. What might be maybe the most helpful if it is contextually true, and I don't want to I don't want to presume that this is the context, but it's possible that people there are claiming that they are speaking in a heavenly language, and you know that that might having that as the context might inform why he speaks the way he does. You know, that it's right. never been anything other than a terrestrial language and you're claiming you're speaking in the tongues of angels, you know, which, you know, substantially changes a lot of things. Um, you know, and I, so I think that's extremely likely from the context. And I think it's only become more likely as you go through First Corinthians 14. Yeah. That, you know, what is this guy doing in the church while well, I'm speaking? He says I'm he's standing, I'm speaking in tongues. This is a manifestation of the spirit. Well, and, and the church is going. Wait a second. Yeah. What's going on? And whether or not this doesn't make sense. Whether or not, you know, whether or not there there is this sort of heavenly language that's legitimately being spoken or, or not, you know, um, I would say, so far in First Corinthians, I have he utters mysteries in the spirit. He speaks not to men but to God. Those two phrases seem like really scant evidence to overturn what we find in Acts 2 as speaking in tongues. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. that that would seem to me to say uh y- y- that's a that's precious little 
in the text to overturn an established, a very clear established passage of Acts 2. When Paul says you're speaking into the air in verse 9, he's talking about the same people doing the same things. Right. And and it's and the and and in the context it's a problem. Yeah. It's not good. Yeah. So whatever's happening there in Corinth, Paul is is trying to undo it. Right. By his apostolic authority about what tongues and and he actually is going to define what tongues is and what it's for. Yeah. Okay. Let's in chapter 14. Let's look at verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. All right. Yeah. So this is more of Paul's rhetorical response to what's going on there. And there, I mean, there's so much here. And again, so, so much let, me, let me pause for just a second before you get, because I, I, yeah. I want you to walk through this. But yeah. in my own, if you begin in 14, at the beginning of 14, and you begin with the assumption that tongues is heavenly language, then everything to you in this passage is going to look like evidence to that fact. But hundred uh, percent. If you begin with Acts two as a defining point for tongues, and you let Acts two define tongues until it is more clearly updated, at least up to verse nineteen of chapter fourteen in First Corinthians, you 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 haven't nothing's been overturned yet and there might be some you know veiled references like so okay for instance like he says uh i speak in tongues more than all of you i would rather speak uh five words with my mind in order to instruct others than ten thousand words in a tongue um uh you know that kind of thing those are uh not it seems evidence to overturn what Luke says in Acts 2. Like that doesn't even come close to to redefining tongues as heavenly languages. But it seems quite the contrary to not contradict anything Luke says and in fact support the way Luke defines tongues there in Acts 2. Yeah. Yeah. So walk so, walk through yeah, it. There's so, and there's so many clues in 13 through 19 as to what's going on there's more kind of cracks in into the context of first corinthians in 13 through 19 so therefore he so he says for example verse therefore the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret 
So, so he should be the one. So Paul's now talking to those guys who are saying they're speaking in tongues. Hmm. And instead of them, instead of them constantly saying, "I don't know what I'm saying," hmm. I'm just, I'm speaking in tongues. And you see, in verse 14, we've now shifted from Acts, Acts, which is speaking in tongues, to now verse 14, praying in a tongue. Hmm. If I pray in a tongue, well, who would be praying in a tongue, and where does that matter? The only place that, that would matter is if you're trying to pray in a tongue in the church. Mm. If you're for Paul, that's what he's dealing with, uh, and you see in verse 19, no one else can say amen when the church is gathered. Yeah, yeah. And in 16, well, in no one 19, else can say amen. Right, and in 19, in church, I would rather do this. Uh-huh. So Paul's not even talking about your personal, your personal prayer life. That. that mm. It's not even something he's addressing or thinking about. Mm-hmm. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful, verse 14. That's not good. Yeah. Your, your mind and your spirit should be unified. That's a principle for Paul. My mind and my spirit, I'll pray with my spirit, but I'll pray with my mind also. Those things should mm. be unified. That'll preach. And if they're not, something's <laughs> wrong. And he says the same thing with singing. So it's potential that there are people who are trying to sing in tongues. Mm. I'll sing with my spirit, but I'll sing with my mind also. Maybe maybe they were, maybe they weren't. Yeah. But then he then he goes on with his rhetorical arguments. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider? So Paul is now distinguishing the usefulness of tongues between those who are insiders and those who are outsiders, which is extremely close to what's going on in Acts 2. Mm-hmm. You have insiders, you have outsiders. Mm-hmm. And those who are outside, who come into the church and come into the, the apostolic message that Jesus is the Christ, that he's been made Lord by his resurrection, they can't come in and say amen. Outsiders can't come in and say, wow, good news, yes to that, and, and agree with you. They can't do that because they don't know what you're saying. I mean, Paul is talking like a five-year-old here. We can't understand, so how can we say amen? Mm-hmm. It's it's really, really simple. I think another clue in verse 17 is, for you may be giving thanks well enough. I think there's a clue there that those who are speaking in tongues, or they're actually, refer go back, they're praying in tongues or singing in tongues, that they're their argument is, I'm giving thanks to God. Mm. I'm giving praise to God. And Paul's saying, you, you might well enough be doing that. Maybe you are doing that, guys. Okay? But the other person's not being built up, mm-hmm. so it doesn't pass the test. Mm-hmm. I thank God that I speak in tongues. I'm really glad for that, guys. That's really good. However, problem is, in church, I'd rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a mm-hmm. tongue. Paul's not even necessarily saying what you guys are doing is tongues. I love it. Keep it up. He's talking about tongues in principle and saying whatever you guys are doing is not passing the test of mm-hmm. mutual edification. Mm-hmm. And it's actually beginning to allude to the fact that this isn't Acts 2 tongues at all. It's something else because it's not, it's not doing what, what it's supposed to do. Yeah, so what they're doing is basically they're speaking in a language that they're not even, maybe even claiming is, oh, this is Arabic, y'all don't understand Arabic, or you know, whatever, 
whatever other language there might be There's out really there. There's really two possibilities. One, they're, they're speaking in Indonesian, and no one understands it. Right. And so Paul's telling them, y'all quit doing that. Right. Or what I think seems more likely is that they're saying, hey, what, I'm speaking in tongues. God, and, and tongues itself actually becomes a thing. Like a language called in, tongues. Right, I'm and doing that they what what now. that has that has a- angelic origins. Is that fair? And it has no earthly roots. Right, in languages so, known to men. So, in other words, the right. the that part of it that that could explain if that's if that's what's going on in the text that that could or in the context I should say that would explain why the confusion for so long over this chapter is. Paul is referring to the speaking in tongues being a heavenly language, but he's not validating it at all. He's if he is, he's not validating it. Right. So if, if that's, that's what Paul thinks right. is happening, yeah, he's saying it's a problem. Right. If that's what's happening, he's saying like, well, it, that's pointless. Why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense right. inside of a worship service, and and it doesn't help anybody. And. The, he's not necessarily even addressing directly praying in a tongue in your personal prayer closet. Right. He's not even talking about that. He's talking about when the church is gathered. That's not the problem. No, no one's upset that you know uh, Billy Sue from over here is you know praying in tongues in her closet. The problem is when they're gathered in the church. But I think that principle could potentially apply even in verse fourteen. And Paul says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. That's not even talking necessarily about your relationship with others. And and that being unfruitful in the body, he's saying, my mind is, my, my own mind is unfruitful if I'm praying in a tongue. And my spirit prays, my mind is mm-hmm. unfruitful. Mm-hmm. So Paul is breaching the mutual edification scope and talking about your personal experience as well. Saying this is what it's like for you and that's it's unfruitful. Yeah. Okay, let's But here's the thing. Here's the thing that will happen. Sam Storms and others will say it is extremely fruitful. It is extremely fruitful. And my personal faith and my personal experience with God. Hmm. It, it is fruitful in that I've never felt the presence of God like that. Mm. It's fruitful in that my faith is stronger now that, that I've spoken in tongues. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it bears that kind of fruit. Yeah. And I think there's an, there, there, therein lies some extreme danger. Yeah. My confidence in my salvation, my confidence in the nearness of the Lord is not centered on Christ. Yeah. But in my experience of a gift of the Spirit. Yeah. That's that's not good. Yeah. It's not a good direction to go. Yeah. Uh, and it would be contra the very point of Acts 2 preaching, which is the manifestation of the Spirit leads to the preaching of Christ and they all confess and believe in Jesus Christ as yeah. Lord and Savior. And yeah. that becomes their confidence. Tongues was always a means to confidence in Christ in Acts 2. Yeah. Let me, let's go to the next bit because this is a do pretty it. lengthy passage. So let's get, let's get going. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. 
In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign, not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all, <laughs> <laughs> but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. This may be the strongest. I don't know. It just it, it it's it keeps building and building. Yeah. I mean, Paul Paul just called those who are speaking in tongues in the church and claiming to speak and pray in tongues infants. Yeah. So this th- so let's let's saying back grow, up for just grow, a second. He's basically saying grow up. Let's talk culturally just for just a second crazy. because it, whether yeah. it's whether it's Corinthian culture or our culture now. Um, uh-huh. This is probably the most stinging rebuke of the idea of having uh, charismatic services where there is, you know, nothing but the speaking in tongues and the yeah. rolling on the floor the, the and idea the charismatic. That every everyone is speaking in tongues. Yeah. What if everybody could do it? Paul Paul takes it. Paul takes it and says, okay. Let's imagine that everyone is. Now, have you ever been? Have you ever been in a charismatic service like that? I mean, you grew up as a son of yes. a Baptist preacher, so I don't know if you if you really Multiple. have. Okay, so yeah. um, assemblies of God, uh, yeah. Pentecostal, others. I went to a school when I was a kid that that was kind of funded by a charismatic uh, church, and we would have charismatic chapel services. And I remember specifically one service. I was probably sixth or seventh grade. I can't remember. And I was just sitting on the pew and all of a sudden everybody's rolling out on the floor, speaking in tongues, uh, laughing, uh, and doing all kinds of things. And I am me and one other Baptist kid. And he was like a, a, I think he was a junior. He was older than me. And he, he and I are both kind of sitting there going, you know, we're, uh, we're back. I don't know what this is. This is not. This is not something I'm familiar with. Well, like 30 minutes into the service, the other Baptist kid gives up on me, and he's rolling on the floor and speaking in tongues, and I'm just sitting there. I am literally Nathan. I kid you not. I am the lone kid on this pew, and I'm looking around, my left and my right. The entire, all the pews are vacant. Everybody in the service is on the floor speaking in tongues laughing all kinds of things and i am just sitting there it is the most awkward thing you could ever possibly imagine and the speaker who kind of instigated all this was also my math teacher he looks at me and he starts like prophesying to me and i am i'm crying because I'm like, what is going to happen to me? I have no. And I think he saw me crying, thinking that I was with him 
in this whole deal. Like I'm like I'm agreeing with them, and I'm, emo- I'm the emotion of the moment is getting to me, and I. <laughs> I'm actually going, I am terrified right now. These people are going to kill me. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> so I saw those tears, brother. I saw yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How sad. Yeah. How sad. Um, so anyway, so, so uh, Paul right here in this passage, in this little paragraph, says, be infants in evil but in your thinking mature. And then he says, uh, he, he says later, will they not say that you're out of your minds? So people that are in these, you know, rolling on the floor, charismatic services, we can set aside the conversation of whether or not these are terrestrial languages or heavenly languages. Let's put that aside for just a second. What we can say for sure is that Paul gives a just stinging rebuke of any service where everyone would be speaking in tongues. It's it's out of yeah. order entirely. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. am, I, am I wrong Absol- there? Absolutely. Paul's negative view of whatever is going on in Corinth is continuing to expound mm-hmm. and, and get sharper. I mean, now he brings up Ebel and immaturity, and how people who are outside are going to call you out of your minds. Mm-hmm. And that's not a good thing. Now, they they did, they did it in Acts 2 as well. Mm. You know, they said, hey, these guys are drunk, mm-hmm. you know. But Paul's explaining, that's not good. Right. When you precipitate that on your own, rather than out of the, the Holy Spirit's work, it's not good. Yeah. And... When he when he refers to and the, uh, the let's law pause for just a second 21. though pause for just a second yeah. because in Acts two and the context of Acts two and the context of First Corinthians are somewhat different. Both in both the outsiders do say that they're out of their minds or they're drunk or whatever, right? So they they're giving a kind of a like a y'all are crazy kind of kind of situation. But the context of Acts 2 is this is the inauguration of churches beginning to form and people being saved under the name of Christ, right? Whereas 1 Corinthians, this is an established church where actually where outsiders, visitors are coming to see what's going on here. And it's not that that's entirely different, but in Acts 2, the demonstration of the Spirit there is to validate the fact that the Spirit is blessing this and that people are really saved and given Christ's Spirit in them. And it's it's sort of validating that, that movement, whereas, you know, here there is an established church already, and Paul's about to limit it to two or three, right? Let's keep it slim, you know, instead of what yeah. was happening in Acts 2. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, there's so much that's happening in Acts 2 besides just the function of tongues. Because right. Biblical theological stuff, yeah. Couldn't hear. Yeah, there are temple implications. Right. Like the wind and the fire is coming to, to fill them, like right. on Mount Sinai, like right. in the temple. There are the, uh, the, the, uh, the Babel languages, Genesis 11, reversal. Reverse, yep. For sure. Uh, there is. Uh, the the day Pentecost 
is the the festival of harvest. Right. Jesus uh, was crucified on Passover. He rose from the dead on the day of first fruits, and now fifty days later, the Spirit is arriving on the day of Pentecost, mm. which is the bringing in of the summer harvest. The, the first bringing in of the summer summer harvest, which is actually one of the the three festivals that required uh, men at least to journey back to Jerusalem, which is mm-hmm. why all of these people from all the languages from under the heaven are in Jerusalem. They, they all mm-hmm. came, uh, right. it seems, for Pentecost. For they're all bringing the first fruits of their harvest into Jerusalem for for worship, and now they're actually becoming the harvest. Yeah. By hearing about Jesus Christ and being the people of God, brought in, yeah, and that's that. So that's what's happening in Acts in Acts two, and Paul actually when he were, when he says in the law it's written by people of strange tongues by lips of foreigners I will speak to this people. That's actually a condemnation in Act in Isaiah chapter twenty eight. Yeah, I'm going to come and people of foreign languages are going to speak to you guys, and it's going to be a form of condemnation, Israel. Yeah, you're going to listen to them, and you're going to say Isaiah 28:13. The word of the Lord is going to be to them who hear these things, precept upon precept, line upon line. Here that are they're little, they may go all fall backward. They're broken and snared and taken. In other words, they can't hear it. Mm-hmm. And that that's a speaking in an unknown tongue. Paul is saying in Isaiah 28, that's condemnation, mm-hmm. and it's making outsiders. Mm-hmm. When tongues is actually this inclusive, this bringing in All right. of people. So, so, so when tongues functions to cut off people and create outsiders by being able to not understand, Paul's like, you're doing the exact opposite of the nature of tongues to begin with. Yeah. And you're, you're more like the condemnation in Isaiah 25 than the goal of saving people and people agreeing with you, which is the actual purpose in Joel 2. The people will call upon the name of the Lord and be saved by hearing the gospel in their own language, which what happened in Acts 2. Okay, so 22, verse 22 of 1 Corinthians 14. Thus tongues yeah. are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is right. a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. Okay. Right. So what what is he meaning there? Tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. There's two ways he can mean that. One, he's referring to tongues in an Acts 2 way that it that they are themselves a sign. We understand the meaning. We, we hear the gospel in our own language. But the fact that we heard it from men who don't speak our language is a sign that is accompanying the message that this is of God. That, that kind of sign. I mean, hearing the gospel is one thing. But hearing it from Galileans who don't speak your language, that's a sign. This is of God. Okay? The other way that it could be uh, a sign is more more functional, uh, where they, they simply recognize this message is how they, the, how they hear. I, w- I would go back to the latter and just say that's the, the point. This, the accompanying miracles. Uh, so we, we see this back in Acts 2, really Acts 1 through 5, that uh, miracles are accompanying the apostles in order to validate their message. God attested 
to the man Jesus Christ through miracles and mighty wonders and mighty works from heaven to attest that Jesus is the Christ. And so unbelievers see these things and they think what they ought to think. This is this is of the Lord. Or you're out of your mind, you guys are drunk. Hmm. That, that's the other way to go. And Paul's saying, look, that don't you see how that would be the problem? If you guys are using tongues like this and no one understands what's going on, it can't be a sign for unbelievers. Yeah. It, it's not it doesn't make people go, Wow, this is of the Lord. It makes them go, These people have lost their mind. Well, it's interesting he says, he says in 21, the verse right before it, in the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners. So that would seem to be terrestrial languages, but other languages than what you speak. Lips of foreigners. Will I speak to this people? And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So it seems like what he's saying is that the law validates this happening to unbelievers, that uh, people in a strange tongue who are foreigners will speak to you the words of the Lord in your language. And even then you will not listen to me. So it, it almost seems to be that he's not, to me anyway, that he's not saying that the tongues are a sign for unbelievers that, oh my goodness, God is real and I need to believe, but quite the opposite, that when uh, uh, someone that doesn't speak your language, visitor, unbeliever, you come into this worship service, someone that doesn't natively speak your language, begins speaking your language, and you hear it, even then you will not believe. And so it's it's almost a sign to the unbelieving that your condemnation is justified. Whereas, on the, on the contrary to that, if all prophesy, an unbeliever, in verse 24, uh, or outsider enters... He is convicted by all. So he hears the preaching, the prophecy, Mm -hmm. and he is called to account, and the secrets of his heart are disclosed. That's probably the difference between prophecy and and maybe preaching, is that there's some insight into what's going on into his life. Maybe, I don't know. But the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God really is among you. The prophecy, it seems almost like Paul is setting up tongues and prophecy as opposites for the purpose of conversion. That that tongues don't provide anything for the unbeliever to hear the gospel and believe and fall on his face and worship God, whereas prophecy does. And so my prayer for you is that you would prophesy because that's how people are going to hear the gospel. They're going to understand the reality of the gospel and how it comes to bear on their life. And they're going to fall on their face and worship God and say, God really is among you because how else would you know this, right? Whereas the tongue, people, they're just going to think you're crazy, right? Because they they may even hear the lang- their own language even. And it still is not gonna, not won't convince them to to believe in the same way as it's written in the law. Is that a fair reading? Yeah, I think so. It's yeah. not. It's much closer to what Paul is getting at in this section than the idea that. I mean, by now, like by now, have have we not thrown off the idea that Paul has a favorable view 
of personal prayer language in the church. Yeah. I mean, it, so it, it's, it's, def- yeah. it's definitely affirming. That's where Paul's landing as he comes to the end of 1 Corinthians 14. All right. Verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> only two. Well, okay, I'll let three. Uh, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets." For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all church, all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church." Well, that's a whole other subject we could get into next time. I was going to say, I really wish you would have stopped in 33, man. I probably probably should have because that's a whole other deal we could get into. Uh, I think it's actually connected, so I'm actually glad you read it. I think it is connected to what Paul's doing. He doesn't just launch into a totally new subject. Right. Let me keep keep going and just to finish the chapter. Or was it from uh, you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. All right. When the people speaking in tongues hear this, and the rest of the church, if they have the guts to apply this, I think it was probably one of the last Sundays the church got together, and there was public speaking in tongues, at least for a while. Hmm. Now that's, I think, mm-hmm. because Paul's telling them to be silent. Don't do it. There's no interpreter, Right? no one knows what's going on don't don't do it talk to yourself talk to god again that's the same kind of language back to two this is between you and god no one understands this but but god and then he just goes off on the women now why does he do that (sighs) one theory (laughs) in my mind (laughs) and and let's 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 acknowledge let's acknowledge for just a second this is a difficult chapter it's not. It's it, it. Now you're making is it, it. I mean, it is. First Corinthians is as a whole. Though? In in a. 
No, it's not. Never mind. I'm not trying to be. I'm not trying to. Be, I'm not trying to be cheeky because people have significantly disagreed with this. But I don't want to. I don't want my church to think you can't read First Corinthians 14 and, and get it. No, I don't think it's that. I don't. So it's when when I say a, a chapter in the Bible is difficult or a passage is difficult, I don't mean that it's unclear, and I don't mean mm-hmm. that uh, scripture is you know or confuse the prospicuity the clarity of scripture but um but it is to say there is a lot of debate and for good reason there there are things in it that you know that require maybe a thinking about the context of things that might be going on perhaps some information on the context that we don't know that may or may not be helpful and then uh, and and then some things in the text that could be taken multiple ways. And depending on what you're thinking coming in, that you could take it one way versus you could take it the other. But but I think we have to come down to when the passage is what we feel like is unclear or is difficult, the problem's us. I mean, ultimately. Mm-hmm. You know, the problem's us. It's not the text itself. It's it's us mm-hmm. being far removed and not, you know, understanding the rest of our Bibles and being able to put it all together. So that's what I mean more than anything. It is is that yeah. it's widely debated, and there's some things that could be taken multiple ways. And even you, when we get down to certain verses, you're like, he could mean this or he could mean that, you know. And and I think that's you know that's that's true. You know that yeah, it can I have agree. I would, multiple I agree. takes. Definitely agree. The thing the thing I would push back on that is. Uh, someone, sent, uh, one of our church members, sent me an article this week from Christianity Today, and it's a professor from uh, col- uh, Christian College in, in New York. And uh, I generally agree with the, the bent of the article, and that is that uh, our, our quiet time devotional today, our Bible reading, uh, statistics are showing Christians generally will say they read the Bible regularly, right? Now, that's lower than it's been in the past, but... But at the same time, our understanding of Scripture is like just becoming bankrupt in evangelicalism right. in the West. Right. And it's because the way we read the Bible and the way we've, we were taught to read the Bible through certain movements through the mid-20th century was to pick up your Bible, have a verse for the day, get some encouragement, get some direction, and you know, kind of get some, some juice, get some zen, and go out into the day. Right. And that's how we read our Bibles. Yeah. When you do that— First Corinthians 14 has so many ways to encourage you in your daily angelic prayer life. <laughs> you just pop in there, and you know if it shows up on your 365-day calendar, hey, don't say it in church, but you go pray between you and God. Oh, good, I'm going to go to God, God and go pray in my personal private prayer language. And like that's, that's not the thrust of what Paul's suggesting. Mm-hmm in that verse. Well, okay, so, so let's yeah, say, it. what you, what is it? The women should reading, keep silent in the churches for they're not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as also as the law also says. If there's anything to desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's shameful for a woman to speak in church. Well, that's that's not going to preach in today's society. <laughs> so, you know, what all does that I, mean? All I can say if anyone does not recognize this, he's not recognized. That's <laughs> verse 38. Yeah, I mean, so uh, I, this could be saying? a different podcast, but I think for for the acts purposes, it it makes me wonder, and I'm not going to die on this hill. 
again, this could be kind of a what's going on. Um, it could it be that Paul doesn't leave the conversation of tongues, but he's finishing that argument. It's possible, I think, that women in particular were using the gift of tongues as a means of stepping out of their authority to preach or teach or, or what they could do, which is prophesy, and actually gain a, a standing in the church uh, in order to have authority of, of teaching or a place of prominence that he didn't have otherwise because they were women. Otherwise, why? There, there are two things. Paul, Paul could be addressing it because it's connected to tongues. It could be. It seems more likely to me, I think, and I'm kind of 60-40 on it right now, that this is basically just another extension of Paul talking about order in the church, which has been his one of his main themes that runs from 12 through 14. The, the church should be ordered. It should not be confusing. It should be, uh, you know, carefully protected uh, gathering worship. And this is a, another way, in addition to tongues, that uh, the, the, the church is being upset. Uh, can I, and Paul is saying this should not be. Can I offer my own period. take on this? I mean, uh, I've never said no. <laughs> I think it's actually a combination of the two. I, I think what is probably happening is that tongues are being used as a means of basically speaking over the other. By men and women. By men and women, yeah. That yeah. Uh, that that somebody over here is giving a word of encouragement and somebody else is going, I got a tongue. Maybe not standing up and declaring it in that way. but Or, or praying in tongues. Or, or praying something. in tongues or, or you, whatever. They, the we, whole, do have, whole we do have the idea here that, and this is maybe another discussion for another episode, but the, the church isn't just here gathered in Corinth. There, there seems to be a, a pretty informal gathering in the sense that if you have something to say, say it. Yeah, this so, is not a preacher right. in some readings. This is well, he says people, that. Yeah, know, any anyone has yeah. something to say, say it. Yeah, yeah. So I think what's happening is there is they come together and like you said, twenty six. Each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, yeah. and there seems to be some measure of. Uh, orchestration that the elders provide to the church mm-hmm. um, in that regard, but there it doesn't seem to be as formal of a gathering as we have now, as we kind of make it now. It seems to be a much more mm-hmm. uh, informal kind of gathering in terms of like yeah. uh, what the service looks like on a Sunday by Sunday basis. And I think right. what's going on is that tongues throughout this chapter, it seems like this is the case. Tongues are ruling the roost. So when people come, uh, the tongues just basically have a field day. The people who speak in tongues just have a field day. And they overrule everyone else. And and not only that, I think they the tongue is replacing the instruction, the prophecy, the instruction, um, in so the let's see the lesson he said he calls it a lesson 
a revelation, um, that kind of thing. So the the tongue is replacing the prophecy, the revelation, the uh, instruction in the church for the edification of the church. The tongue is overwhelming that, and people are speaking in tongues as a means of instruction, and no one understands what they're doing. But they're saying, well, it's an instruction from the Lord. Here it is, you know, to you, church member. And Paul, it seems like, is saying, that's not helpful to anybody. And you got to stop that, right? And so the prayers are in tongues. The singing is in tongues. The, the, the preaching is in tongues. And it seems like when he's talking about the women speaking in the churches, that seems to be in that same way of instruction and correction and rebuke and reproof and building up and all those kinds of things that are being done in tongues. And that, to me, is going right back, even though he uses a different word there, speak versus uh, teach and exercise authority, it's going right back, I think, to Timothy, where he doesn't prohibit that, but says men are the ones that are supposed to teach and preach in the churches and basically instruct and correct uh, through the word of God. And I think what's happening, it seems like, is whomever has the tongue is able to stand up and everybody else has to be silent while the angelic presentation is is given to everybody else. And I think what he's correcting is that, and he's, he's going back to the instruction, the teaching, the lesson, the revelation is to be given by men. And I don't th- and I think he's unabashedly complementarian, and so am I. Um, so you know, I don't think we should be ashamed of that, but because uh, that's what the Bible says. And as you said, if you don't recognize it, you're not recognized. So you know, I don't know what to do with that other than to say that. Um, but I think I think it's so I think it's a, a marrying of the two things that you had already presented is what's going on in my view. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense, and it 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 definitely it definitely helps put Paul's entire theology and practice of the church in play, rather than just kind of go well, what he says here can't mean that because of. Because of what? Because mm. of what he says in First Timothy? Because mm. of what he said back in First Corinthians 11? Because mm. of, I mean, what is Paul said that makes it say that you can't say that? Mm. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a stretch. Yeah, and it, it, um, when he says, when he says uh, it's shameful for them to speak in church, it, you know, he's going to say, uh, or he says earlier on, that uh, they could pray in church with their head covered, you know, their culture mm-hmm. practices head coverings. And so, you know, he, he says um, they can pray with their head covered. So it, it seems like he can't be talking about the same kind of speaking, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like he has to say here, he has to be meaning here in mm-hmm. uh, verse 35, the kind of speaking that would be uh, t- uh tongues essentially dominance of a form of instruction and and preaching mm-hmm. I, I think that it's half mm-hmm. that has to be how you take it if you're going to balance that yeah. with chapter 11 you know i mean it's kind of got to mm-hmm. they got to be held together at the same time i think yeah so yeah, what is so let me let me ask weird. you this with all of that, if we go through, oh, that's all of chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, and it's it's long, and it's uh, there's a lot to it. But what does, how does that instruct 
us as Christians. We, we, you know, our conversations typically, we've, we basically started recording our conversations. We, uh, you know, the conversations that we were having every week anyway on the phone and everything that we were, um, we wanted to do with the recording of the conversation, if it helps anybody is basically to take scripture and apply it to everyday life. And so here I am a Christian uh, sitting on my couch, and I'm reading the chapter, and I'm trying to take in all the context. I'm trying to understand the nuances of each verse and and understand how that all fits together. And and so then I'm I get to the end of this. Everything should be things should be done decently and in order. And I, and I close my Bible on First Corinthians 14. What am I supposed to do with it? What am I supposed to? How, how does how does that come to a, a New Testament church community? The, the church that I go to now, Southern Baptist Church, you know, what do, what, what do I do with that? A lot of things. First of all, if your handling of this as a, as a church member or even as a pastor, if your handling of this doesn't seek and help foster and expect from others and mutual building up of the church. It's wrong. It's wrong. Mm. So if you if you can't engage with this in a way that builds up, one you could disagree till the sky you know as as blue as the sky is blue, and and have different viewpoints about this. Totally fine. Totally fine. <coughs> but if you're divisive, and if you look down on others as not coming up to the gifts and you know upholding the gifts and being less spiritual than than you because you see these gifts you're doing the exact thing that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 12 hmm. which is becoming very prideful about your interpretation of scripture or about your your gifts so there ought to be a constant humility uh <coughs> and preference for your brothers and sisters in how you re- refer to your gifts or the gifts in the church, or your interpretation of First Corinthians fourteen. So that would be first and foremost. The second thing is remember that that Paul is the authority here, not me, not you, and not even your experience. I mean, Paul just laid down his apostolic authority as more authoritative than whatever was going on in First in First Corinthians. I mean, tracking with that, like. Mm-hmm. Whatever's going on, whatever people are saying, they're giving thanks in their prayer language, they're speaking tongues from God, they're speaking in the Spirit. Paul says it doesn't matter. Hmm. I'm an apostle, and I gave you the gospel, and I'm giving you this. And if you don't recognize these things, and if you can't use your gifts for mutual building up of the body, and you can't keep silent, and you, you, you refuse to have two or three go at a time, and you refuse to wait for interpretation, if you won't do that, then I as apostle am telling you no. Hmm. That's not good. And so submit to apostolic authority. We are called, I as pastor, am called to pastor our church under the apostolic authority of Paul who helped give us the gospel. Mm. And there's a great illustration. I mean, one of the things, one, one of the, it takes forever to get there. But in D.A. Carson's book, he gives an example of dealing with this in his church. And I think this is toward the end of the book. And it's really helpful. He was like, he, he had people coming up saying, we ought to be speaking in tongues. We ought to be pursuing tongues. I want to speak in tongues or things like that. And he came back and said, 
uh, give give me and our leadership three months to think about it and study this in Scripture, which is basically where his book came from. Hmm. And so they did, and they went back to the church, and they had several months of discussion about it. And he said it was helpful to hear what people were thinking, what they mm-hmm. wanted from, from both sides, cessationists and continuationists. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they eventually landed at a place of peace. Hmm. And they didn't practice those things in the church because it, it, I think it did what probably would have happened at Corinth, hmm. is if you want to do it like this, that usually is not what we're talking about. In, in my ex- any of my experiences in any Pentecostal movements or churches, that hand First Corinthians fourteen handling of what's going on in the room is not happening ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Never seen that. Mm-hmm. And so it it tends it, it has tended to be meaning that ends up not happening. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the greatest evidences of what First Corinthians fourteen means and its practical application in the church is there's nothing but Acts 2 tongues out there, ever. That, that's right. what it's for. That's what it does. That's what, that's what biblical tongues is. Yeah. Uh, and that's what's happening in Acts 10. That's what's happening in Acts 18 yeah. as well. Uh, you know, earthly languages, xenoglossia, spoken so that other people in other languages can hear the mighty works proclaimed of Jesus Christ, death and resurrection for sinners, and be saved. That's what it's for. And an interpretation um, so that everybody else can understand it. An interpretation if you need to. Even pray that yeah. you yourself would be able to interpret. Yeah. Which I think, which I think, just as a side note, helps us understand what was actually happening in Acts 2. These yeah. people didn't even understand what they were saying. I'm yeah. preaching in Chinese. What are you saying? I don't know. Yeah. But they're hearing the gospel, and that guy's hearing the gospel, and that guy's hearing the gospel. Everyone's hearing about Jesus. Yeah. You know, it, it, anyway, what strikes me too. What strikes me too is how frequently Paul and how adamantly Paul comes back in this chapter with, "Yes, but is it done for the building up of the body?" And yeah. you know, you you may sit there as you're, you know, reading the chapter, thinking, oh, "I don't speak in tongues. I ain't never spoken in tongues, and I don't even really. I'm not really even sure what that is." And regardless of where you land on, you know, whether you think this is the tongues of men or the tongues of angels or whatever, it doesn't, it's not just, he's not just speaking about tongues. He's speaking about gifts also in general. And and you can see where the priority of giftedness really is. So if you take that and from 14 and you go back even to 13, what you'll see in 13 is more of the same kind of thing. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, you know, regardless, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver on my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. So he, he is. Here's the, here's, here's the implication of 13 into 14. If your tongues is not for mutual edification and building up, it's not love. Right. 
So that's he, the problem. Yeah. So it, it. So he's. If you read fourteen, okay, fine. You know, he's kind of honing in on tongues and prophecy and things like that. But if you zoom out to the context, he's lumping in all the gifts to it. Any gift that could possibly ever be given by the Spirit, if mm-hmm. it's not for the purpose of building someone else up in love and unity in Christ, then it's worthless. And that is not a spiritual gift, but your spiritual giftedness should be used for the building up of somebody else, the building up of the body of Christ. So are you generous? How is that generosity being used to the building up of the body of Christ? Are you hospitable? How is that hospitality being used for the building up of the body of Christ? You know, are you, um, you know, are you merciful? Are you faithful? Are you, what are you, whatever gifting you have, how is it being used to the building up of the body of Christ? That's what he's getting at. I mean, that's what he's saying. And regardless of how we parse the the details, you know, we can have opinions and maybe see differently than some of our charismatic brothers and things like that. And, and that's fine. But really the question comes back to how are those gifted giftings being used and if they're not being used for the body, for the building up of the body of Christ, and if the, those gifts are are being used contrary to the way Paul orders the worship service, then it's not given by the Spirit. Or if it is, it's being sinfully abused. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, I've been working through my mind, like, what what am I going to say to those who in our church would say they've spoken in tongues? Mm. Or they speak in tongues, uh, to put it in the you know current context. Um, we have rules to follow in First Corinthians fourteen, right? So if you if you want to say that you're speaking in tongues, we have we have rules, you know. So so speaking in tongues at home by yourself is one thing. Interrupting the gathering to pray in tongues out loud would be another thing. And handle those two things differently. Um, to to those who like Sam Storms, his testimony was that he prayed for weeks every night at ten in his car in the park at this high school to speak in tongues, and then one night it happened, and he had this experience where he had this out of body experience where he was watching himself speak in tongues. He didn't know what he was saying. His body got warm, and he, um. He experienced speaking in tongues after praying for it week after week after week. And it, if my recollection is correct, he hasn't since. Hmm. I think that's what he says in the book. And that's not true. I, the, the, what he says in the book, actually, now that's come to me, is that he he's encouraging people to do it by faith on their own, even though it's even before it might be given to them, which is just, I had to read it a few times to make sure that's what it says, but just like launched way past most of his arguments that he gave in the book. All, all that to say, I would say, if you're, if you're not being divisive, if you're, if you're in the bounds of 1 Corinthians 14, you're doing something at home, brother, sister, I'd be very careful with that. Mm-hmm. Very careful with spirituality and and trying, you know, lining up, where does this come from? Hmm. And if you feel like it's from the Holy Spirit, 
that does not make it from the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So be really careful. Paul is authoritative. The, the Spirit has a, a reason for its gifts, and it's mutually building up. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just, I'm just having a hard time finding a category of tongues anywhere in Scripture that is for me and my personal experience. Mm-hmm. So if that's happening in your life, um, you know, like, like Sam's experience, I'm like, what, what do you do with it? Mm-hmm. Like, what, do you, what can you do with it? Can well, and certainly tell people this is happening, and so, and here's my my question is, how does it actually in, influence your witness? If you mm. you want to use it as a sign, mm. I spoke in tongues, I experienced the Holy Spirit, therefore you should be encouraged about the things I have to say. Yeah, and it gains standing for you uh, to your brothers and sisters to speak to them in English yeah. because you spoke in tongues privately. Like I'm just. And and here's the other thing. Here's the main thing, man. Really, really concerns me. Is our culture, our generation, the last hundred years, and the charismatic movement in the early 1900s, it has so it's morally bankrupt. Mm. I mean, it is it is crazy. And so, where does our ideas of tongues come from today? Does it come from mm. scripture? Does it come from the spirit? If it comes from that charismatic movement, which started in the 1900s, which really was virtually non-existent before that, mm-hmm. it just not, what we had today was not there. Mm-hmm. Then, what is happening is just not much different than Finneyism and entertainment. It's not much different than experientialism and yeah. Hillsong worship. It's not much different than I'll have more confidence and I'll have closer fellowship with God if I can have this. Yeah. brand this fresh experience within Christianity rather than Jesus Christ is my confidence right Jesus Christ is and my being born again by the spirit is the fundamental experience that I have right that gives me confidence that I do have the spirit of God that my turning from sin my turning from idols to worship the living God is the evidence in my mm-hmm. life that I am experiencing God, in quotes, mm-hmm. that I know him, that I'm enjoying him, and that he's real, and I'm in fellowship with him, that his His life is manifest in me. Actually, Romans 6 says, when I'm saying no to sin, mm-hmm. that the, there are other evidences that I am in true, deep, glorious, eternal fellowship with God than having had the experience of this gift. Right. And so that's a great concern for me pastorally, is if someone comes to me and says, I spoke in tongues last night, I don't even know what to do with it. Yeah. I'm kind of scared, it's kind of weird. I don't know, you know, well, I, but what troubles me most is when, that's that has its own concerns, mm-hmm. is when it's elevated my mm-hmm. relationship with God to another level mm-hmm. and that is the problem yeah. of the charismatic movement going back to the 1900s, yeah. where you know there's Christianity and there's Jesus, but there's this, and we yeah. need to really be praying for this. And eventually, in most Pentecostal circles, this speaking in tongues now that is fruit that you're saved. Right. That that that's how you know that you're a Christian. Right. And that is terrible. Yeah. It's awful and it's wrong and it's wrong. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. So, so some things I kind of got off there. Yeah. No, it's no, it's fine. I, I, I think all of those things are right. I wouldn't add anything to it. Um, and just to say it's, uh, it's, a. I think the, the first Corinthians 13 and 14, even 12 for that matter, really the whole book is designed as an encouragement to build others up mm. and yeah. in the church body, that's what we should be focused on more than anything else is yeah. using the gifts, whatever gifts those may be that are given to us for the building up of, of others. And, um, I think that's an encouragement we can take away and, you know, yeah. continue to think about and continue to strive towards. So. Absolutely. And All right, man. I think the last word would be just making sure that's, that scripture is, is our test. Yeah. Of our, sure. all, all of our experiences, right? We're talking, yeah. we're talking about, we have our alien episodes. Well, everything goes through Scripture. Yeah, right, right. Scripture is the way we know ourselves in the world. Yeah. Uh, so always keep that in mind. Anyway, right. yeah, it's been, it's been good talking, man. Yeah. What are we doing next week? What, uh, what do we have left to talk about? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> we'll, zo- we'll zoom in. We'll zoom in to verse 30, 30 uh, nah, 4 and 5. Uh, <laughs> No, I think, I think I'm good. We're good. <laughs> we're, we're good there. I think you handled that so well. We'll, <laughs> we'll figure something out. All right, man. See you. All ya. right. Next. Thanks for listening to the Fire and Bones podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider subscribing or following the show on your favorite listening platform so you can be notified every time a new episode is released. Consider leaving us a generous review if that's an option for you. And most importantly, share this podcast with someone that you think might benefit from it. Be sure to check the show notes for any relevant links, including our contact information. Feel free to reach out to us with any questions you might have. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Fire and Bones podcast. Oh,